Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10 tonight, Hebrews chapter 10, and um, there's going to be, it, it, it might seem a little bit disjointed to you tonight, and uh, it's not intentional, uh, but as we go through this, uh, I know it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Hebrews, uh, but hopefully it will come together for you. Uh, chapter 10 is, is structured in such a way that you may be hearing uh, uh, the, the author, I think it's Paul, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. You may be hearing things that you thought he said a few months ago. Well, you're exactly correct. He's repeating himself in quite a few areas again. Why is he doing this? Because repetition is the greatest way to learn, everybody. And um, God knows this in our lives. And so we're looking at part two of our study. And uh, that study is titled, Coming Out of the Shadows. Coming Out of the Shadows. And we're going to start this year off uh, just like we would end a year or start any year. And that is just diving headfirst into the truth of God. And so I hope you have your Bible open. If you don't have a Bible tonight, look onto your neighbor's Bible, but definitely be taking notes because some of you are going to definitely want to uh, follow up and check up on what we're going to be talking about tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll begin in verse 11, if you'll pick it up in verse 12. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord... I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is the remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of, other, of ourselves together as is in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Father, by the Holy Spirit tonight, we pray that you would speak to us, illuminate our hearts by your word, for your word is truth. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated, everybody, coming out of the shadows, part two of our study together. I just want to march through this introduction because it's a setup for where we're going tonight. I want you to be remembering his audience that this author of the book of Hebrews is writing to. And I want to just um, itemize this myself. They were Jews, if you remember. These were Jews who, after Christ had been crucified, the gospel was going out and uh, reaching uh, the 
the Near East in that area and then spreading westward. And many that were getting saved were Jews. Listen, in the beginning, everybody, the church was predominantly Jewish with a little bit of Gentile blood in it. And now as we reach the end of time, the church is predominantly Gentile with a little bit of Jewish blood in it. And that's by design, by the way. God's got a purpose for that. But check this out. It's very important. These were Jews that had come to understand that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah. That they understood that the first five books of Moses, the Torah, was, in fact, revealed by God through Moses, but the underlying current of teaching was that there would be redemption and that these animal sacrifices were pointing to the ultimate fulfillment. And when we think about that, that Pentateuch is the five books. And then you think of the Tanakh, which is the prophets and the Psalms, all the way out to the book of Malachi, everybody. What do we know about that? The Old Testament speaks to us that these who were Hebrew, Jewish believers now come to faith in Christ the author is writing to. And then we got to remember the date. This is significant. The, the authorship of the book of Hebrews is 66 AD. 66. When did the temple go down? Anybody remember? 70 AD. Very good. So we're just about four or five years out from the temple being destroyed. So you keep that in mind as we go through this because it's going to be very, very shocking if you put yourself in their time zone, in their time frame. And also the ministry of the Bible. The entire Old Testament reveals the sovereignty of God in that his creation, he's sovereign, and that he's sovereign in his redemptive act, that God had a mission to redeem mankind from the grave, from death, from hell, from our sins, and that salvation would be of God, and that ministry would come via the Messiah. Very important. Remembering this in the book of Hebrews, that the very heart of the Jewish worship system was Jerusalem itself. Keep that in mind. It's very important. And so in those five years that will follow, the temple is going to come down. So if you can put yourself in their, their time machine, they're reading the book of Hebrews, and it's going to church to church to church being passed about, the temple is still standing, and they're hearing the words that you just read a moment ago, and they've got to be thinking, wow, this is kind of uh, mysterious. All of this talk about a priest and the high priest and all of this, the veil of the temple and all of that, what's going on here? They're reading this epistle, but they still had the thought, the temple's still standing, everything's okay. They thought if the temple was standing, if they could look down the street and see the temple, then everything is all right. But listen, God looked down the street 2,000 years ago. He saw the temple, and it was not right. In fact, it was very, very wrong. It had long ago forsaken him. The Bible says regarding this, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, 
Here it is. But you are not willing. See or behold, your house is left to you desolate. He's prophesying about the destruction of the temple. Why would it be destroyed? Because God was done with it. It was over. It had lived its purpose, but now Christ had come. Verse 39, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to him uh, to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that must have shocked them tremendously. There was a great shift taking place. Jesus is basically announcing to them, hey guys, you want a scoop? You want some headline news in advance? The temple's coming down. Animal sacrifices are over. There's no need for a priesthood anymore. It's all been taken care of because I've come. And I'm going to fulfill the redemptive act for your soul forever by going to the cross, by being crucified there for you, dying on the cross, being buried in a tomb, but on the third day being resurrected from the dead. And you're going to hear why that's important today, because Christ died for our sins, and in that resurrection, he's the one that sees to it that your salvation is truly completed. Can you, and that's important, by the way. You say, well, what do you mean completed? I'm talking about the last moment you breathe your last breath on this planet. You're going to want to know that God really sealed the deal. None of us as God's kids should be lying on our deathbed, worried or fearful that he's actually going to get us into the kingdom or not. That would actually be calling him a liar to what he's promised. Look, you and I might suffer doubt from time to time. Listen, doubt's okay, but slay it with truth. You've got doubts, I've got doubts, we all get doubts. How do we get rid of them? Don't ever let them sit there. Attack them with the word of God truth. Go after it with the Bible. The supernatural power of the Bible slays doubt. You can read any other book, it's not going to do it. You can even read a Christian book on doubt. And it's not going to do it. Only the Bible's going to do that. Listen, uh, gearing up to this, the fact that the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, remember we're thinking Old Testament, is all that was needed for somebody to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And I'll prove it to you. It's now Sunday afternoon, 2,000 years ago. It's Resurrection Sunday, 2,000 years ago, and it's getting late toward the evening. The sun is about to set. Matthew, excuse me, Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them, that is disciples, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together in all these things which had happened. Verse 15 says, so it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself, so this is the resurrected Christ, Jesus himself drew near and went with them kind of popped out of a bush or just appears from behind. We don't know. But he just arrives. Verse 16 says, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So there's a supernatural event going on here. 
And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said to them, this is awesome, what things? Is that cute? God's got a sense of humor, man. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, he, uh, but him they did not see. Verse 25, then he said to them, listen, So he says to these two disciples, these two followers, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in what? All the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That is powerful. Church, coming out of the shadows, we've learned this thus far, that believing is seen. Believing is seen. We learned that in verses 1 through 4. And quick review, by leaving the darkness behind. We learned that in verse 1. We come out from among the things that are shadowy. They are simply uh, types. They are uh, symbols. Uh, religion can be like that. A religion, you can go headlong into religion, uh, but without the relationship with God personally, you'll have nothing but an external structure. And the great truth about God's wonderful power is that he brings us out of the shadows, and that happens when we believe, then we see. Not seeing is believing, but believing is seen. And we leave the darkness behind. We also saw this, that by putting an end to condemnation. We saw that in verse 2. It says that for when they, uh, for then would they have ceased from being offered, for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. All of the Old Testament offerings, you put that little animal blood there because you did something wrong, you sinned against God, and you go away, and there was still a sense that it wasn't enough. By the way, again now, today, if you are bound up in religion and legalism, remember now, you know it, what you do to somehow make amends for what you've committed is never enough, and you know it. Your conscience is never free, but he wants to make sure, made that promise to us. Also, we learn this, by removing all remembrance of me and you, me regarding me, you regarding you. That God challenges us to see ourselves in the new person, in Christ. Vitally important. 
So church, let's dive into where we left off. The second argument's found in verses 5 through 10, and it's this. Coming out of the shadows is seen is hearing. Seen is hearing. And this is amazing. Think about this now. Seen is hearing, verses 5 through 10. I want you to write these verses down. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7. The scripture says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to you, or to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is the promise written in the psalm regarding the Messiah. I just want you to put that down in your margins. Second verse I want you to put down in your margins is Psalm 40, verse 6 and 7. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Now you have wait a minute. Before I read verse 7. What? No, stop. Listen. This is 3,000 years old. This is David writing this. What are you saying, David? Wait a minute. God has been talking from the beginning. We've got to have blood. We've got to have sacrifice. We've got to have all these things. You guys, David is letting us in on something that is transcendent. It's not that David is saying, don't offer an animal. Moses made that clear. We're supposed to do that. David is saying to us, go ahead and do all that. Just know this. That's what we're supposed to do, and we'll do it, but there's something better coming. This can't be the answer. He knew something about God that you and I should know all the time, and that is God does not delight in external things that we offer. He says, I'd rather have you obey than to what? Sacrifice. He doesn't want you running back every 10 minutes. Oh, God, I'm so sorry for doing this. He wants to grant you, and he has granted you, the power that sin should not reign over your life. And David knew about this. The more you read about David and Abraham, those two guys, the more they had what I call a born-again relationship with God. It's amazing, those guys. If they showed up at church tonight, they would, have, they would just blend right in. They got it. They would be shouting right now, hey, whoever, whatever that knucklehead is saying up there, it's true. He's right. Why? Because that's what the scripture teaches. And Psalm 40 verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I come, and in the scroll or the book, the volume of the book, it is written of me. The Bible. If you're a doubter tonight, if you have uh, questions and you're not sure about Jesus, just know this. The Bible says about Jesus, the bulk of it is all about him. That's a huge statement made by God himself. And then the third passage, just in this section here, I want you to write down, is Psalm 110, verse 4. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has shown and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We studied him in chapter 7. We don't need to do that again, but we're laying this foundation. Seeing is hearing. When you believe in God, you see. And when you believe in God and you see, when you begin to see what God is showing you, there's a hearing to that that transforms your life. I want to show you something, you guys, that's just, I don't know if this works or not. I hope I'm not trying to force this to fit. But when I talk about seeing is hearing, uh, what comes to my mind is what I have to show you in this picture. So this is in Jerusalem. For those of you who have been with us, this is... Um, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess it's about maybe at the 30 foot level, 30 feet high 
um, on the western wall. Uh, and so this is from the time of Christ. And I, I want you to, you can barely see the stone in the middle, which is huge, by the way. If you zoom in, look at what you see. Do you see that right there? That has been there for over 2,000 years. Okay? It's ancient Hebrew, but every Hebrew, every Jew in, in Israel can read that. You say, well, what is that? It's Isaiah 66, verse 14. So, so what's, that, what's that all about? Isaiah 66, 14 announces that when you see this, when you read this, when you see this, I'm paraphrasing, you will, you will rejoice and you will praise and you will worship when you see this. So you think about this for a moment. God is announcing in Isaiah 66, the entire chapter, that Israel in the last days will become a nation again. In one day, it says, a second time, no other country, no nation on earth has ever had that happen but Israel. But the Bible announces, almost like an Old Testament prophet speaking from the past, hey everybody, get ready. God's going to do something. And to me, when you see this, I can hear it. Does that make sense to you? When I see this, when I see the word of God, you may not hear it, but you hear it. This morning, just... I hope you're all reading your one-year Bible, right? We're all on the same page. But before I did that, I was reading Zechariah. And over and over again, the first two chapters, the Lord is saying, I am the Lord of hosts. I am the Lord of hosts. And he's talking to Israel. And he's saying, you've done this, 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 this. And you've refused and killed the prophets that I've sent to you. I'm just asking you to repent and come to me. And he says to them, I will meet you, basically say, I'll meet you in Jerusalem. It's a verse about the millennium. It's a verse about the future. It's a remarkable statement. But church, when we talk about this, this scene is hearing, mark this down. Look at verse five. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Verse six, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. You say, Jack, you're just reading this over again. No, I'm reading right now the book of Hebrews. I just read to you Old Testament a moment ago. Then I said, behold, I have come, and in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So mark this down. Seeing the Messiah in his scriptures. That's what we're supposed to see when we pick up the Bible. Why is this so vitally important more now than ever? Because we're living at a time when people have all this authoritative commentary on the Bible uh, to dismantle and attack the Bible and Jesus. They, they're saying things, well, uh, scholar so-and-so says this, that, and the other thing. And listen, you don't need to study all those liberal scholars to find out where they're wrong. All you need to do is to know the truth of God to find out that the entire bulk of the scripture is all about the Messiah being found in those scriptures. It's vital. You don't need any other book. Well, here, here's a Bible and here's our other book to help you understand. No, you don't. You've got the Bible and the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. That's all you need. 
The second thing is in verse 8, and that is looking for the fulfillments. According to the Bible, look at this. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. So everyone, listen, the Old Testament says what I just got done reading to you, and now the New Testament is saying, hey, the Old Testament is spot on. There's a season for that. There was an era for that. There was a time for that. But something has changed. And that something, the someone, Christ has come. In John chapter 5, verse 39. John 5, 39, the Bible says Jesus is actually rebuking the scribes and Pharisees for not believing in him. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. That's a powerful statement. These are they which testify of me. Jesus said to those scholars, when you open the Bible, you should see me. This is Jesus speaking. Those letters are in red in your Bible. Verse 40, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. What an incredible statement. What an awesome statement. You search the scriptures. You're looking for eternal life. You should have recognized me. That's what he's saying. This is where I'm going. We read a moment ago in our scripture reading that we can have a priest whose own flesh is the veil who goes into the Holy of Holies and we can be confident knowing him. The case that I'm building right now is that the scriptures back up Christ as the Messiah. But the Messiah of the Old Testament is the same Messiah of the New Testament. He must first suffer for our sins and then come in royal righteousness, mighty to judge. He came the first time to Jerusalem, to Israel, to be sacrificed. Old Testament says so. Jesus said you should know this. But when I come back a second time, oh, I won't suffer. An unbelieving world will suffer for their unbelief. He said, I will punish the wicked. And he said, I will tread out the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God in his second coming. He said that his robe in his second coming, the Bible tells us his robe is splattered in blood. That his eyes look like a flame of fire. And that his face is brighter than the sun. And out of his mouth goes the word of God. Jesus Christ in the second coming. When he establishes his kingdom. The fulfillments. I'm be careful how I say this. There are those, I don't care if you're a Jew or Gentile tonight. There are those who say, I believe in the Old Testament. I believe in the Old Testament, but I don't believe in the New Testament. I believe in the Old Testament. I believe in the Old Testament. Well, what is your Old Testament then? I mean, I'm kind of going off of what Jesus just said a moment ago. Hey, scribes and Pharisees, you studied the Old Testament. What's the, what's the conclusion? What have you come to? They should have said, tons of prophecies speaking about this one that's going to do all these things and then be nailed in his hands and his feet but on the third day be resurrected from the dead. He's got to be born in Bethlehem. And the big tip is that he's going to ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey someday. We've got all these prophecies. Here's the amazing thing. If you're not going to read the New Testament, if you're going to be in the Old Testament as a Jew or maybe somebody who just wants to only read the Old Testament, how in the world do you know what you're reading 
is true. Did any of those things come to pass? If, if Zechariah 9.9 says that the Messiah is going to come riding on the back of a little donkey and you don't read the New Testament, how do you know if the prophecies of the past, if any of them have been fulfilled? Well, how do I find out? You've got to read the new. What the old proclaims, the new records. And by the way, I know my New Testament's true because my Old Testament confirms it. The Old Testament said it. I read my New Testament and it records that it happened. Do you see the continuity of this? And it's all about him, which I want to believe this, that it leads to an appointment. Watching for the appointment. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then he said, behold, notice all of these Old Testament verses he's quoting. This is awesome. This has got to get you to sit up and have a lot of reverence for God's total word, entire word. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He, watch, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. Verse 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Church family, the word established here. Remarkable statement, established. The word is this, to take a stand, watch, to confirm, to be set in place, made firm, never to be moved, listen, altered or shaken. This is very, very important. When he's announcing that I have come to do your will, O God, I have come to take away the first, to establish the second. It means this, the first was always based upon instability. Don't get me wrong, everybody. Do I, are you listening? Do I have your attention? The old, when God spoke the Old Testament, it was pure truth. But that economy of the Old Testament was based upon you trusting in God's configuration that animal blood would be like a promise looking ahead. Because everybody ought to know that animal blood cannot save you. I insert this. Neither can religion today save you. It's the same difference. Any kind of offering by our hands on our efforts is unacceptable to God. Can't I just write a check? Nope. Well, you can write a check, but what are you writing it for? Are you writing a check to worship God? Or are you writing a check to have God being... Does anybody write checks anymore? Anyway, you, you know what I mean. Are you doing that to, what, get God committed to your gift? To in, somehow get him indebted to you? Oh, no. That's not going to happen. That's called religion. Well, what, how, just tell me what to pray. That's religion unacceptable to God. Well, give me, uh, do I do five of these or, or half a dozen of the other? Won't work. Doesn't work. That's religion. God will have none of it. You want, listen, you want an earthly priesthood? Then go for it. But don't expect God to hear anything of it. If he did, he would insult his own son at the cross. This is strong stuff, I know. But it's what we need. And then this word, listen, this word, 
You look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And the Bible there tells us, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, what you do, do for God. Whatever it is. Are you going to go to work tomorrow? Are you going on vacation tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? Whatever you do, get up and say, Lord, I'm doing today for you. Say, Jack, I wish that were true, but I just work down at the factory and I just do the same thing. I've been doing it for 27 years and that's all I do. Then I got good news for you. If your job is mundane and boring like that, putting nut A on screw B or whatever this thing is, I've got good news. Go do it tomorrow to the glory of God. It will take on a whole new perspective. Watch what happens. It's absolutely remarkable. But the beauty is what he's saying in Corinthians when it says abounding, the steadfast, he says, the immovable. It's the complete opposite of the Old Testament economy. All based on animal blood, looking forward to a promise. It's not, it's not sure, looking forward to a promise. We go through these religious acts. Now Christ has come. Now Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, oh, by the way, what we've got is immovable. It's never going to change. All the stuff of the old pointed to the new. So when the new arrives, how firm is it? According to the Bible, immovable. What does that mean? What Jesus did for you and me can't be altered. And that's good news, everybody. That is beautiful stuff that he's given us. And we ought to look for that appointment in our lives where God goes to work and does that very thing. By the way, that word abounding in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, listen to this. It means to be over all things, above all things. It means to abound with abundance. That's cute. What are you doing? That sounds like Tigger to me. You ever watch Wind of the Pooh? What are you doing? I'm abounding with abundance. It's like overjoyed, right? To have more than enough, ever-increasing. The example given is faith, opportunity, ministry, service, witness. Now, just a side note, a lot of prosperity preachers will take 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and they'll take that word abounding, and they'll say it, mean, it means that God wants you rich, and that is a twist of Scripture. Listen, if God makes you rich, you better tremble, because that means he's made you rich to do something with it for his kingdom. The word doesn't mean that. The word means that you are so secure in Christ that your life is now abounding. Your life is not fragile. You didn't offer the animal and then walk away and then 10 minutes later wonder, was that even, what did that do? There was still that conscience nagging and gnawing on you. Did God really accept my offering? Oh my goodness, for us in the new... Let me ask you, did God accept the offering for sin? Oh, yeah. Well, how do we know? Because he was resurrected from the dead. The third thing is this, verses 11 to 13, is hearing is rejoicing. Coming out of the shadows means that we're hearing. We're starting to hear. We're starting to rejoice. I loved the worship tonight. I was not expecting. Listen, I didn't hear a rehearsal. I didn't, I didn't have, see these guys before. And, um, and so I didn't know. I didn't even know tonight that I needed a saxophone in my life. 
Um, I needed that. It turns out I needed that. And as they were leading you and you were singing, and, and I, I was going through my head in the 150th Psalm. You guys were singing so loud. They were playing. They had all the instruments. Now, you know people. There's people watching, or you may be here right now, and you're, you've already written and you've already sent the email. You already sent the email. I think it's an abomination. There's a guitar on this stage, and there's a drum. There's a drummer, and uh, well, I think, you know. What's great is that you already sent it. We have your name. No, I'm kidding. Here's, here's the thing. You need to read Psalm 150 because what happened here before service makes Psalm 150 look like a joke. I mean, Psalm 150 is explosion of worship and drums and high-sounding cymbals. I mean, I'm going to like that then. I don't like it now, but can you imagine somebody going, it's like, I'm not, I don't appreciate that. But in heaven, it's just, You ever think, I don't know if I want to be there. Well, maybe you won't be there. If you don't want to be there. But when you read, there's only one time in the Bible. Heaven's loud. Except for 30 minutes, the book of Revelation says, right before the final judgment falls on the earth, there's a, it says there's silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? It says 30 minutes. It's not like a translation 30 John, God gives the book of Revelation to John, and John writes down on the sundial. <laughs> that was 30 minutes. Isn't that amazing? Heaven's loud, worship, amazing. So keep that in mind. Hearing is rejoicing. We'll go as far as we can with this here. Verse 11, in all that is new. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily, and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Okay, so this is where I'm going to get into trouble. Earthly redundancy of a human priesthood proves that any priesthood on earth is not of God. Did you hear what I said? I'm just going to get hate mail from all the priests. But verse 11, can you guys put verse 11 back up on the screen? Listen up, everybody. The Bible says, and every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same (laughs) sacrifices, conclusion, which can never take away sins. The Bible says this. We're looking at the Bible, everybody. Pause. Take it in. This is serious stuff. We need to come out of the shadows to understand something. An earthly priest as a mediator for you to God is unacceptable to God. It's only Jesus. It's only him being your priest that works and that God will accept. Yes, but I was told. Yes, but you were told. Listen, we were told wrong. We were told religion. We were told tradition after tradition for hundreds if not thousands of years is the way that it is. And then what's the authority? The traditions or the word of God? Because the Bible's crystal clear. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. 
Nico, you know what this means, actually. You know Nike? 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 Nike's Greek for champion or lord, ruler, champion, the best. Nicolaitans, Nico is lords, Nicolaitan, laity, laity, layman. Jesus says, I hate the lords who lord authority over people. Jesus said that. I love it. Don't you love that? That should make you happy, unless you're a priest. (laughs) But notice how he drills it in. Do you just go through the motions? Do you just do the thing? Look, we just came off the holidays. And uh, there's some people we won't see again. It was Christmas. We won't see them until Easter. (laughs) And then it's so sad because after Easter, we won't see them again until Christmas. Imagine the liturgical drapings, I get it, the, the windows, the, the, the candles, the smoke, the chanting. The, it's, look, it's beautiful. It is, to the eye, it's beautiful. But if there's anything attached to it that says, this is what... I must do. Now it's works and it's no longer faith. We can rejoice in the hearing of the fact that our God makes things new. And it's relational. Secondly, under this, verse 12, it's in all that he has finished. Verse 12 says, but this man... Jesus, after he had offered, listen, one sacrifice for sins forever. What a statement. (laughs) One sacrifice for sins forever. You know what that means? Watch this. It doesn't mean that he's being sacrificed for sins forever. Do you hear me? I don't know why I'm laughing. That's a horrible doctrine that's taught out there that Jesus perpetually suffers. That's an abomination. It says right here that he suffered once for sins. And what he's done for our salvation, that lasts forever. How precious was the price paid on the cross? One, One afternoon on the cross is all it took. Of course, all it took was the death of Almighty God, God the Son on the cross, But he only had to do that once. He he doesn't have to do a booster. (laughs) One time done, once and for all. That's how powerful. That's how powerful the death of God is on the cross. And then there's always people, when I say things like this, they always write me and they say, you said God died on the cross? If God died on the cross, then why didn't the universe fly apart? Why did anybody drop dead if God died on the cross? God the Son died on the cross. All right? Well, I don't get it. Yeah, how about this? His body died. Everybody get that? God died on the cross. 
What? Who? How'd that happen? His body died. He took on a body. Born of a virgin. It's called Christmas. To go to the cross. You need a body to be crucified. He took upon a body, a human body, to be crucified in our place. He did that. You know his spirit, his soul never died, you know. Neither will your spirit or soul ever die. Ever. Think of that. Everybody in this room will live for eternity somewhere. No, it's a fact. What do you want me to say? Do you want me to say, all of you are going to live in heaven forever? I want you to, but I don't know all of you. Are you born again? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you trusting in him? Those songs we sang tonight, this is as far as we're going to go tonight. I have to mark my notes. This is as far as we go. These songs we sang tonight, there's a, there's a romance in these songs. See, what do you mean by that? Who in their right mind says there's power in the blood? Come on, think about it for a minute. There might be, listen, there could be some people here today, they don't know. They've, they've, and there, there's people up here smiling, singing, there's power in the blood. <laughs> kind of a religion is that? What are you people talking about? <laughs> only, only, only in Christ can being a wretched, proud, arrogant, adulterer, bank robber, drug user, drunk, mugger, car thief, person, find forgiveness and sheer joy and praise in God, but in the blood of Christ Jesus. You know, you have to qualify to go to heaven. The qualifications to get to heaven is you got to be a sinner and you got to know it. People who don't think they're sinners. Think about how horrible that is. Didn't Jesus say it this way? I didn't come to save the righteous. Let's stand. Let's stand. Because I'll keep going and you know that's not... Listen. You guys, when Jesus said, this is terrifying. Two, there's, two, there's two of the same types of sayings that Jesus said regarding this. Jesus said, if, you, if, if you're healthy, you don't need me. And if you're righteous, you don't need me. Do you realize that if, that if in your mind and in your heart you say, what was that? If I, what did he say? He said, if you're healthy or if you're righteous, you, you don't need them. Oh, I thought I needed them. That's why Jesus said it. Because there are actual people who will listen to the gospel and they'll go, oh, oh. hey, if that's good for you, more power to you. That's awesome. I don't need that. I mean, I just look around my neighborhood. I'm way better than anybody. I'm all right. See you later. Jesus said, that's okay. I didn't come for people like you. I came for those who know they're sinners. Is that awesome? I love it. Father, 
We praise you. We thank you. And Lord, as we close out in this song, I don't know what song we're going to sing, but I know it's going to be good. (laughs) May we give it to you. May we give it to you. And Lord, um, I just want to make this public. Nobody knows this, but when that worship started tonight, there was such an anointing on it. And I know you know this, but the church doesn't know this. You guys, I'm interrupting my prayer. I, 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 I asked the ushers to open up all the doors internally and externally on this sanctuary so that the sound of this worship that they were leading us in would go out into the parking lot. And in my mind's eye, I saw the praise and the worship going and the joy on the faces and the doctrine in the words. And I just saw in my head as the, as the music and the, as the worship goes, was going out through the doors. In fact, we should open the doors now. Open up the doors, guys. Open up all the doors. The, these doors and the outside doors. Let's, let's close out really loud because in my mind's eye, I just, I just could see demons and, and just get knocked over. You ever seen people that shouldn't go down to the waves, but they do because you know that's about to happen. It's like, man, they're going to get hit. In my mind, as these precious people were leading us in worship, I could just see fur flying and fangs breaking. And just because Satan hates worship. Satan hates worship. So listen, let's give hell right now some heaven because they'll hate it. And let's bless God with our offering of praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.